Well, good afternoon, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. It's a beautiful day today. And I know there's lots of mothers and grandmothers in the room. And it's the one time of the year where we really set aside a Sunday to honor our moms and our grandparents. When I was driving here today, I had a chance to talk to my mom for a little while on the phone. She lives in Wisconsin. And my sister was going to be there in a couple of minutes, so she, the call was short because they were going out for lunch at her favorite restaurant. But it's a good way to honor our moms and dads. Dads, too, they're brought into this because they usually have to pay the lunch bill, right? <laughs> but anyway, we're going to have a very nice message today from a passage of Scripture from the book of Matthew. And it's going to be from chapter... 16. Does everyone have a handout? Okay, wonderful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another beautiful day of life. I thank you for all the residents here at Bentley Commons and for especially this day, Mother's Day, when we can honor our moms and our prayers go up before your throne. Lord, that they would have a special day today. And we are very thankful for many of the services and the, the sacrifices that our moms and our grandmoms have made over many, many years. And Lord, it is honoring to you when they serve their families and their husbands for your kingdom. And Jesus, today that you bless your word for your glory as we open your Bible and study your word. Lord, that you would guide my tongue today that I would not speak anything that would be incorrect. And Lord, forgive the sin in my life that your word is not hindered in the spirit world. And Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and that your Holy Spirit is with us today. And we love you, God. Amen. The lesson for today on the handout that you each should have is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is a verse that we're going to look at in a little bit more detail from the book of Matthew, chapter 16. And let's read verses 13 through 21 from the handout. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed 
in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. This is a very interesting passage of scripture. As we see here, there's a number of things that are unfolded. But perhaps the most interesting point of this passage is when Jesus instructs his disciples, his apostles, not to tell anyone that he was Jesus the Messiah. And we're going to look at a little bit more detail today why he gave that command. The setting for this message, as Jesus is talking with his disciples, is in the country of Caesarea Philippi. On the back of your handout is a map. And if you see at the very top is Damascus, the city of Damascus. Right below that is a dot, Caesarea Philippi. This is actually an area of country. It was named after Caesar and King Philip, who had a building program and had developed this region. It had initially been populated after Alexander the Great, so several hundred years of generations of people have lived here. You see the Sea of Galilee, this area of Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus is gathered with his apostles, is about 30 miles north and slightly east of the northernmost part of the Sea of Galilee. This was known at this time as an oasis area. It was beautiful. There were deep caves with springs, and the waters, the headwaters of the Jordan River were located in this region. And many people went here to be refreshed, to have short vacations. Now we see this is chapter 16 from the book of Matthew. And Jesus has already been in his public ministry for approximately three years. This is winter time. This is four months before he's going to go to the cross. So he's gathered with his apostles. This is perhaps the last time he's going to have an extended season of refreshment, a vacation, a short vacation time with them. And as you look at the map, you see the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea and the Jordan River connecting them. As Jesus starts heading south from Caesarea Philippi with his apostles, He's going to stay on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And for the next four months, he's going to go into village and town and teach, preach, and do many miracles. And finally, he's going to cross the Jordan River and go into Jerusalem. And then he will have the Passion Week. And he will die on the cross. And he will be resurrected on Easter Sunday morning. And thus he proves he is... God incarnate. Let's look at the top of page two. Christ Jesus is God. Christ Jesus is Messiah. And Christ Jesus is the Savior of the world. This passage in Scripture from Matthew also has a parallel passage in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. 
And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 18 to 21. We're going to look at three points briefly today. The first point is, do you truly know who Jesus Christ is? That's a very important question for everybody in the room today. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? So the second point today that we're going to look at, Christians are blessed of the Father through faith in Jesus. And we're going to see where the Father draws the child of God to Jesus. And unless the Father draws that soul to Jesus, that individual cannot come into the kingdom. The third point we're going to look at today is the gospel of Christ is the key into the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So generically, he's asking all of these people outside our room today, who do they say that I am? And we can ask that question. In Lynchburg today, on Mother's Day 2018, who do the people of Lynchburg say that Jesus Christ is? Many people give different answers. Matthew 18.11 says, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. This is the reason Jesus came into the world. He came to redeem the lost. And do you notice it says in verse 16.13, when Jesus asks the question, he says, that I, the Son of Man, am. Jesus is defining himself in this question as the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's the Son of Man. He's the only begotten Son of God, the Father, and he's the child of the Virgin Mary. His Father makes him 100% God. The virgin birth from the human side makes him 100% man. He's all God and all man. That's why sometimes the Bible addresses him as the son of God and other times like in this verse it says son of man. John 151 and he saith unto them verily verily I say unto you hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. Only deity can open up heavens. Only deity will have the angels ascending and descending. And Jesus is describing himself as God. Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We cannot claim Buddha and be saved. We cannot claim the name of a pope and be saved. We cannot claim the name of Muhammad and be saved. There's none under name under heaven whereby a man must be saved other than Jesus Christ. 1 John 4:15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, notice it's Son of God in this verse, God dwells in him and he in God. When we receive Jesus as Lord, God, and Savior of our soul, 
our body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. And this verse says, God dwells in him that's saved. Matthew 16, 14. This is the apostles answering Jesus. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some, Elijah. And others, Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. Now here is other scriptures that reference these people claiming Jesus to be somebody else. Herod, in Matthew 14, verse 2, he had already killed, murdered John the Baptist. And Herod says to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. This was his conscience coming to the fore for murdering John the Baptist. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, written several hundred years before Jesus was born. Malachi predicts this is a foretelling. This is only God who can tell the future and says that Elijah will return. And that's why some individuals, when they read the Old Testament, they said perhaps Jesus is Elijah. Malachi 4, 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. See, Elijah, he went up to heaven in the whirlwind on the chariot. He never died. It's appointed on man once to die. And the Bible says he's coming back. But he's going to be in the last days before the dreadful day of the Lord. That's the judgment day. And many Bible theologians believe Elijah is one of the two witnesses that are discussed in the book of Revelation. John 7, verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. So many people heard Jesus preaching, but they didn't understand that he was God. They did recognize him as rabbi, a great teacher. And in this verse, as a prophet. Matthew 16, 15. He saith unto them, But whom say you that I am? So now Jesus is asking the apostles. He's zeroing in on this very important question. He says to them, But who do you say that I am? You who have been following me for three years. You who have seen miracle after miracle. You who have seen me pray. You who have seen me doing the will of my Father. You who have seen me live a sinless life before you. Who do you say that I am? Matthew 10.32 Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Jesus is saying, if you confess me before men on the earth, when you get to heaven, I will be a witness. I will be an advocate for you and confess you before the Father. Unless we're confessed before the Father, we will not come into the kingdom. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 8. This is adding additional information about this confession before the Father. Also I say unto you, 
Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man, Son of Man, also confess before the angels of God. So Jesus is confessing us Christians before the Father and also before the angels. Why would he confess us before the angels? Because the angels will serve us in eternity. The angels are below us when we have a redeemed body. Now they are superior. And also remember, angels are spirits. They are in the spirit world. They will serve us in the spirit world. What a blessing. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Do you believe that today? For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. These are powerful verses. Way back when I first started learning the Bible, I memorized these two verses. And they've been such a blessing. As I've shared many times with people the Bible verses that lead them to the Lord, these are very powerful verses. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And those are promises of God. Top of page 3. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. This is Simon Peter speaking. How many times in the Bible does Simon Peter speak of? Sometimes to his blessing and sometimes to his chagrin. But here he speaks again. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What truth he just spoke. He said to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ was a title. Jesus, the Christ. Christ is a title like king is a title. Christ means Messiah. It means the anointed one. Jesus is the Christ. Psalm 2.7. This is God the Father speaking of Jesus. Old Testament. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. Jesus is the only begotten son of God. Matthew 14, verse 33. This is Jesus calming the storm when the apostles are in the boat and they're about to sink and die and drown. Matthew 14, 33. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped Jesus, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. They were totally amazed that when Jesus spoke the word, the wind stopped. Even nature itself obeys the Son of God. John 1.49 This is the Apostle Nathaniel when he's being called as an Apostle. It's the first time that he meets Jesus. And what a blessing he is from the start for the Lord's ministry. Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. 
The first time he meets Jesus and he says, you are the son of God and you are the king of Israel. Only the Holy Ghost could reveal that to him. And Jesus calls him a man without guile. Guile means deceit. There was no lie in Nathaniel. What a compliment that the king gave to Nathaniel at this first meeting. Acts chapter 9 verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. This is the apostle Paul. After he was saved, his name was Saul and now it's Paul. And he's preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you see how consistently the Christians claim that Jesus is God? We need to do that. That's our faith. A quote on the handout. This is from Monica Johnson. Jesus is not only the Son of God, but he is God himself having all power in his hands. He laid down his life for people who deserve God's justice, not his mercy. Praise God that God has mercy and he saves us sinners from the wages of our sin. Hebrews 1.8 This is very God himself, the Father, declaring that Jesus is God. If somebody doubts that Jesus is God, take him to this verse. This is as clear cut of a verse as you will find in all of the Bible. And there's hundreds of verses in the Bible that declare Jesus' deity. Hebrews 1.8 But unto the Son, this is the Father speaking, but unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Point number two. Christians are blessed of the Father through faith in Jesus. We are all blessed through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Matthew 16, 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. So after Simon Peter declares Jesus to be very God, the Son of God, Jesus says, you are blessed. Because Simon Barjona, you didn't receive this information from flesh and blood, but God the Father revealed it to you. John 6.44 no man can come to Jesus except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. This is Jesus instructing the people listening to him preaching that except the Father draw you to me, you cannot be raised up at the last day as a Christian. John 6, 65. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. These two verses are very consistent. We cannot come into the kingdom unless the Father brings us over 
to Jesus in the spirit world. John 10.30. This is Jesus speaking. And this is one of the reasons the Jews wanted to kill him. Because in this verse, Jesus is saying he is God. He's saying that the Father and him are one. John 10.30. I and my Father are one. The Jews, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders, many of them said this is blasphemy. And it's either true or it is blasphemy. But we know because Jesus was risen from the dead, he proved that he and the Father were one. Galatians 1.16. This is Paul speaking. To reveal his son to me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So as Paul was gifted with the ministry of preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it says immediately he conferred not with flesh and blood, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of this scripture was revealed to him. Matthew 16, 18. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus is furthering the dialogue with Simon Peter, and he's saying, upon this rock I will build my church. And hell, Satan, the demons, all of the evil that's in the world will not win over the gospel. The gates of hell will not prevail in the spirit world. There's one major religion that says Peter was the rock that the church was built on and that he became the first pope. That's not true at all. If you look at the Greek of the words, and we're going to take it from C.I. Schofield. I have a quote here. In Greek, the word Peter means petros, a little rock. And rock means petros, a large mass of rock. So it's kind of a play on words. And as C.I. Schofield says, Jesus does not promise to build his church upon Peter, the little rock, but upon himself, the mass of rock. And doesn't that make sense? Why would God rely upon a human being when we fail? Why would he rely upon Peter who denied him three times? Isaiah 28:16. This is the God the Father speaking in the Old Testament about Jesus being the rock. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. He that believeth will be redeemed. He that believeth will come into the kingdom. And you notice this is a precious cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation of our salvation. John chapter 1 verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus... And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. 
So the reason we call Simon Peter also Cephas and Barjona is because Jesus gave him this name. But remember, it means a little stone. 1 Peter 2.6 Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Do you notice this is from the book of Peter? The apostle Peter wrote the book of Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And Peter himself is saying, Jesus is the stone, the rock, the foundation of the church, and not of him. And also it's interesting, this is the first passage where Jesus speaks of the church. Do you notice it says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God is transitioning his ministry from speaking directly to the Jewish nation and now he's moving it over and bringing in Gentiles because the Jews have rejected him. And in fact, in four months, he's going to die on the cross. So his ministry, which was intended primarily for the Jews initially, is now opening up to all of the world, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The third point today, the gospel of Christ is the key into the kingdom of heaven. This is a key. It's a key to my car. So if I gave it to any of you in this room, you could walk into the parking lot, start my car, and drive away. It's a key that gives you access to something. And Jesus is saying he is giving them the keys into the kingdom of heaven. Let's read this. Matthew 16, 19. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is also another intriguing verse because it's speaking of loosing and binding. Loosing on earth and loosing in heaven. Binding on earth and binding in heaven. Initially, Jesus was giving these keys, which is the Bible. It's the scripture. It's the gospel of Christ. And these are the keys into salvation. This is the key to eternal life. He that believeth on him is not condemned. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. And Jesus is giving these keys, the scriptures, the Holy Bible, to the apostles. And he's also saying the church is an infant now. And what you bind on earth by way of making rules in the church, they will be followed in heaven. And what you loose on the earth with respect to rules to the church, that's how they will be loosed in heaven. But that's the global corporate church. These verses also apply to us today. Yesterday, at the men's prayer group, one of the men had a very sad prayer request, and he said, please pray for my family. It's Mother's Day tomorrow, and my wife has been distant from her children for over 20 years, and the grandchildren will not talk to them because of bad blood. And we didn't go into the reasons. 
But if he would repair those relationships, and usually it's bitterness that needs to be taken out, it's forgiveness, it's apologies, it's simple things like inviting people over for dinner, it's sending flowers. There are many ways you can bridge the gap. But do you see the sin that binds the person on the earth? It's preventing the blessings from heaven. The sin that binds the heart and the mind that's tied up, God's ready to give the blessing. And he's not releasing it because of the sins. But if you let go, if you loosen of the sin burden and give it to the Lord, he takes that big jug, that fountain of blessing, and just pours it out beyond measure. Because the Lord is good. What you bind on the earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on the earth is loosed in heaven. Isaiah 22, 22. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut. This is speaking of Jesus. And he shall shut and none shall open. When God puts his fist and that blessing is not coming out, nobody's going to get it out. But when he opens it, nobody can stop it. Because God has all the power. Revelation 1.18 defines more of God's power. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. When God sends a soul into hell, nobody can open the gates of hell to let it back out. And when God says, you're my child, there's no way that soul can go into hell because God has the keys of hell and death. John 20, verse 23. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. This is going back to us individually. When we hold on to our sins, they're retained. When we release our sins, they're released. Let's look at some specific scriptures that teach this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be you kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And do you see these verses? If we want to retain the sin, if we want to bind God's blessing, hold on to all of that sin, that bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, evil speaking. Because the longer you hold on to it, the more God's not going to bless. But as soon as you let it go, when you're kind to one another, when you're tender-hearted, when you forgive one another, and we should forgive because Christ forgave us, our sins are worse than anything anybody could ever do to us. And God forgave us. And that's the pattern we're to follow. And once we forgive people and bless them and are tender-hearted to them, then God's going to release all those blessings. Matthew 16, 20. Then charged Jesus his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. 
Now, isn't that an interesting command? Jesus charged them. This is a command. In the Greek, it's a strong emphasis. He's telling them, I don't want you to tell anybody that I'm the Christ, that I'm the Messiah. It's almost like it's a secret. Now, remember, it's only four months before he's going to go to the cross. And the reason is made full, clear in one of the commentaries that I've quoted here. You see Adam Clark's commentary? This is how he explains this verse. Jesus was not willing to provoke the Jewish malice or the Roman envy by permitting his disciples to announce him as the savior of a lost world. He chose rather to wait four months till his resurrection and ascension had set this truth in the clearest light and beyond the power of successful contradiction. Jesus says, I'm going to be going to the cross in four months. We don't need to be getting any more people angry than are already angry at us. There's already a death sentence on me. Let's finish the will that the Father has set before me. I'm going to go to the cross in four months. Let's teach and preach, lead as many people into the kingdom before I die and resurrect. Luke 9.21 also says this same command. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. So now we have an understanding, a little bit of insight as to why Jesus said that. Luke 23, verse 2. This is at Jesus' trial. And indeed, what he said would happen is happening. And they began to accuse him, saying... We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. You see how they were perverting justice? And they were lying. They were giving false testimony. And in fact, the very simple commandment that Jesus says, don't tell that I'm the Christ at this time, He's preventing additional people from sinning and lying. He's actually withholding evil. He's suppressing evil by giving this command. Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and be raised again the third day. So we see from this verse that Jesus is teaching his apostles all of these things that he must suffer. And do you notice the clarity? Jesus is foretelling the future, four months in the future, and he's spelling out, number one, we have to go to Jerusalem. Number two, I'm going to suffer many things. Number three of the elders. Number four of the chief priests. Number five of the scribes. Number six to be killed. Number seven to be raised the third day. How many of us could give a foretelling of one thing that will happen tomorrow? Let alone seven things that are going to happen in four months. Jesus is God. Jesus knows 
the future. Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. Again, this is Jesus teaching his apostles and his disciples. And it's in chapter 20 of Matthew. It's four more chapters into the future. He's still saying the same thing to them. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man must be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Do you see how clearly Jesus tells the future? It's amazing that he teaches this. How many of us would want to discuss our death? How many of us would want to describe if we were going to be crucified on a cross and to be mocked? Remember, this is God. None of us like to be mocked. And yet God is putting him in a position, he's doing the will of the Father, to be mocked for our salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Let's look at the last verse for today. This is John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus about his going to the cross. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. As Moses lifted up that serpent on the brass rod, and as the Israelites, as that plague was killing thousands of them, and they looked upon that rod, the bite of the serpent went away, and they did not die in the flesh. And in the same way, that's a picture of us looking at the cross and believing on Jesus in the spirit world, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. Today, do you believe this? Do you believe as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness? Do you believe that as Jesus went to the cross? Do you believe that when he resurrected from the dead, he proved himself as very God? Do you see what Jesus was asking his apostles? Who does the world say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that's what it comes down to. Everybody who's ever born in the world must ask themselves this question. Who is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah? Because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And that means nobody will find an excuse before the judgment seat of Christ. Today, as I look in this room, I believe in my heart most of the people here today are Christians and praise God for his gift of eternal life. But many in our family are not saved. One of my friends 
He has seven grandchildren. And he's sorry to say in our prayer group that three of those people are living together, not being married. They're living outside of God's will. And to his knowledge, they are not in the kingdom, which means they're on the way to hell. And all of us in this room have family members that we're not sure about their salvation. We need to pray for them. There's power in prayer. Whatsoever we ask in the Father's name, he will do that the Father may be glorified. We need to pray those lost souls into the kingdom. And just as all of you mothers in this room, your children are precious, the souls of God's children are precious in his sight. God loves us. And that's why he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the crucifixion. Let's have a burden for the lost souls that we know that are in our life, that we can influence in the spirit world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this powerful passage of scripture today from the book of Matthew. And Jesus, you did ask your apostles, who did they say you were? And that's what each one of us has to ask. Jesus, I believe you are God and that you died for my sins and for the sins of the world and that whosoever believes in you will not perish but will have everlasting life. And Lord, let us have more of a burden for the lost souls that we know in our lifetime, that we fellowship, perhaps it's at work or at school, or even in our own family, the people that we see out and about in town today. Lord, give us a burden for their lost souls as you have a burden for them. And Father, we want to thank you again for Mother's Day. It's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. And for all of the people who might be going to lunch or for dinner today, please bless them and bless their families. And we ask all of this in your name, Jesus. We love you, God. Amen. So you are dismissed. Happy Mother's Day.